for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Welcome to Living Water. We're pastors Ray and Jan Greenlee of the National Prayer Chapel. Is there a cry for God in your heart today? Are you willing to stretch in order to understand how to come into the fullness of Jesus? When we're born again and then sin once more, do we have to be born again and again and again? No. Rather, we must cry out to Jesus to be totally sanctified and made holy by faith in his precious blood. We want to share with you today the thoughts of John Wesley regarding this issue. Regeneration is not entire sanctification. John Wesley taught that sanctification begins in the moment a man is justified. Yet sin remains in him, the seed of all sin till he is sanctified throughout. There still remains even in them that are justified a mind which is in some measure carnal, a heart bent to backsliding still ever ready to depart from the living God, a propensity to pride, self-will, anger, revenge, love of the world in all evil a root of bitterness, which, if the restraint were taken off for a moment, would instantly spring up. It is true that when we are justified, we are delivered from the dominion of outward sin, and at the same time, the power of inward sin is broken so that we no longer follow or need to be led by it. But it is by no means true that inward sin is then totally destroyed, that the root of pride, self-will, anger, and the love of the world is then taken out of the heart. At the very moment of justification, we are born again. In that instant, we experience that inward change from darkness into marvelous light, from the image of the brute and the devil into the image of God, from the earthly central, devilish mind to the mind which was in Christ. But are we then entirely changed? Are we wholly transformed into the image of him that created us? Far from it. We still retain a depth of sin, and it is the consciousness of this which constrains us to groan for a full deliverance to him that is mighty to save. Hence, it is those believers who are not convinced of the deep corruption of their hearts or have little concern about entire sanctification. The Apostle Paul began the book of Romans by stating clearly what his purpose was in writing it. And it's just this in chapter 1, verse 5, to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And then in verse 16, he continues, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
Well, then Paul immediately begins to speak about the wrath of God that comes against godlessness and wickedness. It's obvious, as we have studied thus far through the book of Romans, that the Apostle Paul's primary concern is how do we break the power of sin in our life in order that we can walk in holiness or righteousness reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings to us Jesus as the atoning sacrifice, as the propitiation, literally the mercy seat for the Ark of the Covenant where the blood makes atonement. As we have walked carefully through this study, we found in chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are made righteous freely by his grace. In other words, the redemption that Paul is speaking about in the book of Romans is not a partial redemption. It's a full redemption. Now, many of you today have been satisfied to have a little bit of a change occur in your life, and it is true. You have been born again. But now you've continued to walk in sin. Does that mean that you have to be born again? And again, and again, no. It's very clear in the writings of the Apostle Paul, both here in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, that when we are born again, as Wesley just shared with us, there is a breaking off of the brute nature. There is a release from the bondage. And then there is a decision we must make. Are we going to continue walking in Jesus Christ? Or are we going to turn back from that walk? And so today we come to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, and we find in the sixth chapter that there are two conditional verses, verse 5 and verse 8. Verse 5 says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection, really saying that if we have not died with Christ, because that's the only way we can enter into salvation, we do not enter into salvation by accepting Jesus and saying a little sinner's prayer. That's a make-believe religion. That's a make-believe Christianity. It's not the faith of the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, we're called to die to enter into that death with Jesus Christ. And if we have not entered into that death, we will never join him in the resurrection. And then in verse 8, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Ray, in verse 8, that phrase, we will also live with him, that's not a free ticket to heaven. Living with Jesus is based on the condition that we died to sin. If sin is not crucified in our heart, we will not live with him. But when the sin is crucified in our life, then we become a new creature in Christ, and we are resurrected into the holiness of Christ Jesus. And so when we move then into verse 9, we see a model of what you're talking about, Jan. For in verse 9 it says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. 
death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Christ, Ray, from the dead is a model of how we too must rise up from the grave of sin, never again to return to it. There's another point in looking at the resurrection of Jesus. He rose up from the grave to live unto God. So we too must have this resurrection power in our lives so that when we are also raised from our grave of sin, we too live a new life, a life devoted wholly unto God. Before our new life in Christ, self sat on the throne in my heart, and that was king. But now Jesus is our Lord, and we live unto him. He sits on the throne of our heart. I live to serve him, to be his vessel, and to do his bidding. I am his bondservant. He's not my servant. And then he continues in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves or add yourselves up or reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And so grace is not a covering for our sin. Grace exposes our sin so that the blood of Jesus can have access to it and wash it away and break its power. We do have the ability to make the decision about whether or not we are going to count ourselves dead to sin. And this is after a person has been born again. So a person is born again, but they still have the option of going back and walking in their sin. They can still choose the path of darkness, even though they've been born again. That's absolutely right. And that that I have that choice to decide Do I want to continue pressing into Jesus until I'm sanctified and that inward sin is broken? Now, for just a minute, let me talk about the difference between organic and mechanical. Yesterday, as we were driving our car, Jan tried to open and close the power window on her side, and the power window motor stopped working. Well, we know how to fix that. We take it to the mechanic and he replaces, he pulls that motor out, and he puts a new motor in at the cost of $200 or $300. It's an easy fix if you have the money to pay for it. But that's not how spiritual life works. Spiritual life is not mechanical. It's organic. And so we can't make clean lines. For example, we can't say justification is here and sanctification is over here. No, they're interconnected. They grow together. We can't say a person who is born again is not going to enter back into sin 
But there has to be an answer, a complete redemption that's available to us. Life with Jesus Christ is organic, not mechanical. This is important to get a hold of because many of you, as you begin to search after Jesus Christ, as you're confronted with these truths, and you begin to feel the piercing arrows of the Holy Spirit, could easily begin to think that you must be mechanical in your approach to this Christian faith. If you're mechanical, you'll quickly slip and slide into self-condemnation, and it's easy then to move into the flesh and say, I have to white-knuckle this Christian life. I have to try hard. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an organic process of righteousness that comes straight from the cross of Jesus Christ, that is empowered by his shed blood, that is taken a hold of by faith. It's not simply a matter of pulling apart yourself and and examining your belly button and saying, okay, I have to pull this out now and let me plug a new one in. Where do I get the new one? No, that's not what we're talking about. This is not a process even of careful self-examination. This is a process of looking to Jesus Christ, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, and crying out to him that these things that pierce our heart, these roots that remain in us of wickedness, that rise up and pierce our hearts, that these things would be utterly and totally and completely removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about when we explain a second work of grace. The first work of grace is regeneration. The second work of grace is always to be totally and completely sanctified under the Lord, so that even that root of bitterness no longer has any authority or power to rise up in your life where you are living now totally in Jesus Christ by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is not something that you live in your flesh. It's not something that you attempt to do. It is literally Jesus pouring his life into you, empowering you by his grace to walk a victorious life in Christ. It's a life of joy. It's a life of wonderful surprise. It's a life of heartfelt service. It's a life totally unconcerned about this world. Our only heart's desire is Jesus. And Ray, that's one of the reasons we continually encourage you to go to your prayer closet, pray, read your Bible, sit there, Listen and wait for the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's done in two minutes or five minutes. It's not a quick run in, read your little devotion and leave. You need to spend time with Jesus. And I like to use that word, waste time with Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples, could you not even watch and pray one hour? And it's our experience that prayer does not really begin until after you've passed the one-hour mark. Why would we say that? Simply because we're speaking out of our own organic experience and out of the word of Scripture. When Jesus said, could you not even wait one hour and pray for one hour? 
what we've experienced is that after that one hour, all of the superficial stuff seems to be cleared away. And as we wait before God for that second, third, fourth, fifth hour, the Holy Spirit comes in awesome presence and begins to do things in us, healing us, restoring those broken places, removing from us and purging from us those roots of bitterness or that root of sin. This is not a time when you go in and hum. It's not a time when you go in and repeat over and over the name of God. This is a time where you go in and wait before him, where you pray, where you read, as I had to do many times, the book of Psalms aloud to God, teaching me how to pray. Mm. And so as we go into God's presence, we don't go in full of repetitive words. We go in with a hunger in our heart and a cry in our soul, knowing there's more and asking that we would be given that. And you will cry out to the Lord, and he will answer you. That's his promise. We come now to this question, is regeneration sanctification? Is regeneration sanctification? Wesley answered the question by saying no. We likewise, in our experience, have to say no. Over and over, as we've worked with people, we've seen that they are born again, that they're set free, the bondages of sin are broken, but there are still roots deep into their heart. And now it's time to get sanctified before God. Well, Pastor, where does the Scripture talk about this? In a number of places. But one of the first places we'd like to take you to is Galatians, the second chapter. Let's begin with verses 17 through 19. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. You remember the definition we shared with you yesterday of sin. It is lawlessness. If you walk into sin, you no longer are under grace. You are under the law. And the only thing that can remove you from the penalty of the law is the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace does not remove you from the penalty of the law. Grace simply exposes your need and gives you an opportunity to cry out to Jesus for that awesome blood to come and break the power of the sin and to cleanse and to wash you. Now, verse 17, if while we seek to be justified, the NIV translates it, this word justified in the Greek we've spoken of many times before, it can be translated just as well if while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? After I have been born again and I sin, does that mean that that sin is Jesus' fault? Was he the one who made me sin? 
No, the scriptures tell us that Jesus never tempts anyone. God does not tempt us. God tests us, but he does not tempt us. The devil is the one that tempts us. The devil is the tempter, and he is the accuser. Yes, he is. And so if we are found in sin, it does not mean that Christ caused us to sin. Paul says, absolutely not. Then notice in verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, well, how did you destroy it? You destroyed it by accepting the precious blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus Christ destroyed that bondage of sin in your life. Now, if you return and you rebuild that thing which was destroyed by the power of the blood, you simply prove, according to Paul, that you are now a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And Paul now begins to speak out of his heart. It's as though this comes gushing out of his heart. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so Paul responds to this question of sinning after you've been born again by saying, look, if you sin after you've been born again, you're simply rebuilding what you destroyed when you made your confession. And now there's only one answer for you, and that is to quickly go back to Jesus And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, my life has come to an absolute end. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jan, that's the life of victory that we must have. That's the life of victory is freedom in Jesus. And the only way you get it is getting clean with Jesus. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Today, do you need to be washed in the blood of Jesus because you have rebuilt those wicked things? Have you gone back to those sins? Have you reneged on your promise to Almighty God to walk before him with fear and trembling, to walk in holiness? Paul says in Galatians, the fifth chapter, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's encouraging to my heart, because there has to be a way for the Christian to not continue walking in the bondages of sin. If Jesus can save me, if he can take me to heaven, then certainly he can save me now from the bondages of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is not like the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. The blood of Jesus not only regenerates me, the blood of Jesus not only makes me into a new creature, but the blood of Jesus Christ keeps me righteous, makes me walk in accord with his will. It's not wishy-washy. It's not up one day and down the next. No, there is a great work of 
of sanctification that must be done in our hearts to be born again is not enough. We must also be sanctified. We must be made holy. The way we're made holy is by the blood of Jesus as we cry aloud to him. And then we walk by the Spirit. And when we're walking in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. In Romans 7, Paul is talking about the condition of the man who is still under the law, who cannot do what he wants to do, because as soon as we sin, we move ourselves out from under the grace of Jesus and back under the law. Today, would you be under the blood of Jesus Christ? Then you must walk with the Spirit and be holy. This morning, Jan and I were walking. As we came toward a wooded area, there was a flock of five or six doves. As we approached, they quickly burst into flight. They didn't come and light on our shoulders, but no, they're very quiet creatures, very timid. A pastor was trying to learn about walking in the Spirit. He and his wife went to a vacation home, and as they went into the home, they noticed that a dove had made a nest in the front porch. And as the screen door slammed, the dove quickly flew away, and then sometime later, quietly returned. And every time they went out that door, the bird quickly flew away. The wife noticed this and said, Honey, look, the dove is flying away every time we slam the screen door. She said, Either we're going to have to adjust to the dove, or the dove will leave. And the pastor went on to say, It is that way with the Holy Spirit. That dove came down and landed on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as a dove. You have to notice in your life where you're slamming those screen doors, because quickly you will grieve the Holy Spirit away with your loud noise of sin. The Holy Spirit withdraws, and you're left alone. We need to become sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Gratifying the desires of the sinful nature, that's like slamming the screen door, and the Holy Spirit leaves us. Let us share with you the actual specific sins that the Lord Jesus told the Apostle Paul would cause the Holy Spirit to flee from us. Galatians five nineteen. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. Paul is speaking to Christian people. He's speaking to the church at Galatia. And he's saying that if you grieve the Holy Spirit, if you cause him to depart from you because you walk in these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Today, you need to make a decision about what you want. Do you want to claim that you're born again and then grieve the Holy Spirit from your life and walk in a mere profession of faith? The modern church would tell you that's fine. All you're going to lose are a few rewards in heaven. But the Apostle Paul doesn't teach us this. He says that if you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. In other words, they've been totally sanctified. You're crucified. That sinful nature has to go, but with it also has to go the passions and the desires. It's your choice. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.